Welcome, and thanks for joining us. This is the Coding Compliance Podcast, the good, bad, and ugly, where we break down the complexities of billing and coding in healthcare and discuss how to operate and hopefully excel in an industry imposed with complex and ever-changing regulations. Here are your hosts, our authority on compliance, Ross Ronan, and coding experts, Neil Green and Mark Babst. Welcome to the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, the Coding Compliance Podcast. Mark and Neil, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Yourself? Doing good. Doing good. It's been uh, nice to get into the springtime, that's for sure. So, Great, Ross. Hey, glad to be on another podcast with you. Uh, absolutely. So today we're going to look at the importance of physician documentation and the use of scribes. Uh, today, we have a very special guests from uh, Scribe America and Health Channels, uh, Cassie Panter and Charlie Coe. Charlie and Cassie, welcome. Thanks, Ross. Great to be here. Mind uh, doing a little bit of background and, and a little introduction with yourselves? That'd be great. Sure. Cassie, why don't you go first? Sure. Cassie Panter, a Senior Director of Telescribe Services. Um, I've been with the company for almost 14 years now, uh, started out as a scribe and have since worked my way up to overseeing our company. Um, I've been heavily involved in implementations of scribe services as well as documentation quality and quality assurance. Yeah, and my name is Charlie Coe. I'm the VP of Client Solutions for Health Channels, which is Scribe America's parent company. But um, really, my role at the organization is to make sure we're not fitting square pegs in round holes. Um, when it comes to uh, our, our Scribe um, partnerships and, and other things that we do, um, you know, ac across health channels and, uh, and then our suite of companies between Scribe America, CareThrough, and, uh, and Soundlines. So... Uh, great to be here. Thanks. Well, great. Why don't we just start off with a bit of an introduction of what is a scribe? How does it work? How does it work in healthcare? And and um, you know why are they important? So, yeah, I'll I'll take that one, Cassie. So uh, you know, Scribe America really started 17 years ago from a physician and still our CEO here, Dr. Michael Murphy, and. Um, you know, our motto has always been doctors save lives and scribes save doctors. So, uh, you know, we really started to explode as an organization when um, we mandated the EHR and the electronic uh, medical record. And what I think what we saw across the across healthcare pretty quickly is that physicians were um, not as a, not as efficient. Number one, when the EHR came out, but number two is they were spending less time with the provider or with the patient, excuse me. And, um, and then lastly, they were spending um, more time uh, after hours documenting the uh, clinical documentation. So uh, Dr. Murphy and uh, back in the day, um, actually down there in Southern California at Hogue Hospital created uh, what, what is now Scribe America. And really what a scribe is, is it's a pre-professional, a future doctor, nurse, or PA that we custom hire and train specific for the organization specialty um, and EHR, and we deploy them at the point of care of the provider. And they really become a personal productivity assistant for anything clerical, non-clinical, uh, as that provider is going throughout their day. So from a workflow standpoint, the provider goes into the room and the scribe is gonna follow that provider in the room as well. And they're gonna be on the computer 
uh, logged in to the EHR under their own username and password. And while the provider is seeing the patient <clears throat> and verbalizing their findings, the, the, the scribe is documenting that on behalf of the provider. Um, um, so about 90% of the documentation can be done while the patient and the provider are in the room. And what the scribe is doing is they're gophering information, uh, past history, integrating labs and radiology, and some EHRs we can actually even pend orders. Um, they can even prompt the provider for any missing information or help with closing care gaps, uh, help, you know, anything from a, a compliance perspective. Um, but really what they're trying to keep the provider doing is seeing is, is eyes on the patient, frankly, and just keeping, uh, the provider and patient relationships sacred. And, um, um, and they, they, that's a rinse, wash and repeat process. So as they're seeing patients throughout the day, whether it's in the ED and the primary care setting and the ICU, we were even during COVID, we were, um, we supported, uh, Mount Sinai and the COVID tents in Central Park. Um, with, uh, and we helped their providers, you know, with the COVID surge there in last March, actually, but, um, their, their goal is really to take all the clerical non-clinical burden off of the, off of the provider so they can, they can keep, uh, seeing patients throughout the day. And the result of that, uh, uh you have an incredibly more efficient provider, you get better quality documentation, um, and, uh, you get a less burnt out physician. And then the trickle down effect of that is, you get better patient satisfaction scores, you get, you know, better HCC and RAS scores. Um, um, you know, there's a lot of trickle down and I guess soft ROI metrics that we could go through, but um, that's really what a medical scribe does, you know, for a physician day to day. And so today we have about 3000 hospital and health system partners, 2000 medical groups. We have about 25,000 W2 scribes that work for us across the country domestically. And this is both virtual and in, per and in person now. Um, um, we're seeing, uh, obviously with COVID, we're seeing, um, the virtual or remote scribe really take off. And we even have a ambient documentation assistant now called speak that, that also is uh, a tool that physicians are using and, and sort of decouples the scribe from the provider in the room, but does send the documentation to a scribe so they can document it for the provider. In any case, at the end of the day, I'd, I just want to make sure here, cause since this is a compliance podcast that, you know, the scribe is attesting the note. And then it is the responsibility of the provider to review that note and then sign off on that attestation of the note. So it is, it is, um, you know, it's it's separate there, but but is a really good tool and a, a really good resource for the provider. I appreciate that, Charlie. That was probably for my benefit, so I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I saw um, <laughs> you know, I've been around healthcare and in compliance for you know about twenty years now, and it's funny because. Um, you know, we've, I worked with Scribe America in the past and I think it was even before, you know, the EMR got crazy. Um, did you seeing a big increase in use of scribes with the EMR? Cause I know that there's, um, you know, some either non-technological or older providers out there who, who are just not quite getting that EMR standpoint and a lot of, a lot of the scribes are coming from that generation where they deal with a lot of electronics and, and are able yeah. to, to document. So are you seeing a lot of changes there? That's a, that's a great question. And I get that question a lot, actually, when talking with partners is, Hey, you know, I have an older general, I have an older provider uh, that is, that is, that is just really behind on the EMR. And I got to tell you, and Cassie could probably attest to this, but um, we do certainly get those physicians, but um you know, what I think now what we're seeing is that it is physicians are just burnt out. Everything is hitting them. 
you know, whether it's, you know, uh, net promoter scores or new EHRs or new technology or scheduling platforms or, you know, chronic care management or pop health management platforms. So you have a lot of these things just flying at physicians. We really don't see an age difference anymore. I think a lot of providers are saying, hey, I just need support and doesn't necessarily need to be done by a nurse or an MA. It could be done by somebody who's clerical, non-clinical. So we do, you know, of course, we do see those physicians that struggle with technology um, but that's not, I, I wouldn't even say that's most of our providers. I think that they're just really burnt out and they want to make sure that they're doing j- their job as, uh, to the best of their ability. And you guys probably understand this, but physicians didn't go to school to be a cleric. They went to school to be a physician. So, um, so I think that they're actively looking for this, this support and it's only continuing to grow. The other thing I will say just on that topic is obviously you have the physicians that, you know, we're brought up on paper charts and they just want to see patients and fly through the day. And we certainly support those physicians. You know, obviously the younger physicians too, we see, you know, are not necessarily, um, you know, cut from the same cloth when it comes to, I need to see as many patients as I, as I can today. And so they enjoy the, the, they enjoy the uh, work-life balance of, that a scribe can, can give to a provider on a day-to-day basis as well. And a lot of our providers are calling me, you know, we still get about 150 inbound leads a, a, a month, which is crazy, you know, being 17 years old that we still get that much, that, that, that much inbound traffic. Um, but the reason is, is I think it um, doesn't matter who you are, you know, being a provider is, is challenging right now with just everything going on in healthcare and this, you know, the transition to value-based care. So um, there's a lot of different factors that go into, hey, I need a scribe. So Ari, had, I, I wanted to just uh, comment on something for, for, for everybody. Uh, you, you went real quickly through that one statement, which I thought was very prophetic, which is doctors didn't go to medical school to be a cleric. And I can't tell you how many times in my career I've heard that. And you know how compliance people fight with them and threaten them and, their department chairs and chiefs and uh, service line uh, bosses are constantly battering them over the head to try to get their documentation done and right and in shorter and shorter time periods. And um, clearly a marvelous solution is to get a scribe Mm -hmm. who is sole purpose is to do something like that, trained to do that and actually wants to do that and so that the doctor, as you said, gets to do what he was trained for, he or she was trained for. And, right. and, and that is uh, a big win for any healthcare system. And I, I wanted to just add one comment on that, which is uh, in my career, I, I've had a couple of doctors who have said to me, <laughs> uh, I've said, you know, I don't understand how your patients are as uniquely appreciative of your care as uh, as they are, mm-hmm. and and why don't I hear that from other people's patients? And they would say to me, "Well, I, I learned long time ago that the most important thing you do when you treat a patient is you actually look at them the entire time, and your attention is undiverted." I think how many doctors are not only making notes and charts, but taking calls from other doctors and being interrupted left and right. And um, I think that that is a seminal thing. So it's not surprising that you 
um, have said that, you know, scores go up uh, uh, for support data and uh, things like uh, risk adjusted basis and all those sorts of things where they get distracted. They couldn't possibly uh, be focused on that level. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I, from a patient's perspective, and, and this past year, I've uh, had a number of uh, doctor visits. Uh, I, I find that it depersonalizes the relationship and uh, being friends with many doctors and, and being married to a doctor, I know that that relationship is, is critical. And uh, when you're sitting there tell, telling the doctor what's wrong or, or what, you, what you're afraid of, and he's facing a screen and keyboarding, it's, it's depersonalizing. And, and uh, the doctors, at least the ones I know, don't like it and they say it slows them down. Right. So, um, yeah, we, we definitely get that a lot, I think. <clears throat> and it's not, be, it's, it's the, the, the unfortunate part is that it's not because the physician doesn't want to spend time on the patient. It's because we've designed a system and a workflow for providers across, across the care continuum that makes them go through prompts to make sure that we're trying to document as much as we can on that patient. And um, we, we hear that a lot that, um, you know, it's, it's funny at first and my mom was one, cause when I told her, you know, my mom is an older, uh, she's, she's older now, but when I told her I was gonna be working for a medical scribe company, she first said, what the heck is a medical scribe? But then when I told her what a medical scribe was, she, she said, oh, I would never let a, a medical scribe in my room. This is my, my, this is, this is my time with my physician. And so the funny thing is, is she's a patient at Cleveland Clinic and uh, Cleveland Clinic is a partner of ours. And <laughs> uh, she, she, she recognized that she had a scribe in her room and she totally realized immediately what was happening. Now, granted, she's probably a little biased. Her son was working for a medical scribe company, but she called me right after that visit and she goes, medical scribes are great. The, the doctor <laughs> looked at me the entire time. The scribe didn't say a thing. It wasn't awkward at all. Um, and so I think, you know, and again, you know, we're in, we're, this is 2021. I think most patients now understand that there's going to be multiple people in the room. And frankly, with our remote services that Cassie oversees now, we don't even have to have a person in the room. Um, but the goal is here is, is to really drive home that value of what we're doing for the provider. And if we drive home the value at the provider level, the trickle-down impact for not only the patient, but also the health system uh, is, is massive. And unfortunately, the challenging part for us is to quantify it at all, quantify it at all, because um, we hit so many different boxes and help the, help the organization across the board. Um, you know, sometimes for us, it's like we got to we got to focus on what exactly are we driving home here, other than provider wellness and and allowing them to see more patients throughout the day. So, and since Neil brought it up, we should talk about compliance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, uh, you know, compliance officers as well as the government have have always been on the the standpoint. If you didn't document, it, you didn't do it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it it is a big thing from a compliance officer standpoint. And when I say compliance, I'm talking about the big C, the big C with like compliance programs and and uh, abiding by the OIG guidance. So, um, you know, when you talk about that, it is an acceptable form of documentation from the governmental standpoint. They have actually produced rules in their integrity manuals on how to do and how to document scribe activities to make sure that 
that you actually are representing what the provider has done in using a scribe and, and regurgitating that information onto the chart. So, so it is an approved type of mechanism. And, and Charlie, as you said before, there's attestations where the doctor has to review the documentation. They have to say, yes, this is what I said. Yes, I agree with it because it becomes theirs at the end of the day when they sign, sign at the uh, the end of the the EMR or the chart um, specifically. So, so from a from a compliance standpoint, from a compliance officer standpoint, we we do see the benefits of scribes. Uh, we do see the benefits of the improved and, and quality of the documentation and really capturing a lot of the care that's given, not only for the patient today, but any type of um, you know continuation of care down the road so other providers can see what's happened to the patient today. Um, that's how I see it from a from a from a compliance perspective. Neil and Mark from a from a coding quality documentation perspective. What do you see it from that standpoint, right? Because you deal with a lot of assignments of codes related to the documentation that's on there. You don't you don't just take what the provider says, you know, this is my CPT code and put it on there. You actually code from the documentation. So so is it do you see a difference in the quality of the documentation coming from a, a scribe chart? Yeah, I definitely I'm gonna pass this off to Cassie because she she works she's worked with our scribes on this she's developed programs around this and she's worked with hospitals and health systems to approve this at the ground level so i think she's probably the best to answer this but i mean my 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 answer is it it of course does that just having you know just doing the documentation in parallel and you know during the visit you just see compliance go up and you saw see the quality of documentation go up, but but Cassie, I, I don't want to speak for you, so uh, I don't know if you want to share some some of, of your experiences here. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that um, for the most part, our scribes are capturing the documentation in real time. So as the provider is doing it, um, or as the provider is asking the questions, it's getting documented in real time. So. I believe it's, it's a more accurate depiction of what's actually, what the patient's actually saying and actually occurring versus having an asynchronous documentation where the provider rounds on his patient then sits down at the end of the day and does 20 notes and, you know, maybe five of them are COVID patients that all kind of blend together and you're going to get a more cloned note, right? Really looking at chart cloning, which is definitely part of the education that we relate to the scribes. I think that the scribes help with that piece in making sure that it's an accurate depiction of what actually occurred and what the, what the patient was actually complaining of. And that's a very interesting point that Cassie br uh, brings up because, uh, um, you know, our auditors, uh, you know, tend to find more cloning these days when physicians are doing their coding and, and why it's everything Charlie alluded to in his first comments, which was, you know, I'm under this enormous pressure to see all these patients and do all this stuff. And this is an easy thing. I can clone a, a record, which of course is non-compliant. And so um, having a scribe keep the doctors from doing that type of activity is very, very important. And going back to your question, Ross, about coding and what it does, not only on coding things like E&M services uh, that Cassie and, and Charlie have been talking about uh, for the most part, but um, when, when they take over uh, uh, scribing duties and review duties for doctors who dictate operative reports or listen in on their uh, uh, dictation of operative reports and make sure that uh, an operative report 
you know, again, when these guys get really busy, oftentimes they put all their dictation of their operative reports to the end of the day. They end up in a situation of trying to whip through them so they can get home to their families. And they end up doing things like, oh, we're going to describe the things I did in the OR, but I forgot to actually create the narrative to go with it in the body of the operative report. Well, a scribe would never do that. Never. And that's an easy compliance piece to be able to pick up. And it's something when we're coding and we're in active coding, we have to stop, send the chart back, ask the doctor for an addendum. And guess what? If you got a scribe and they're doing that pre-review and they're sending it over, it's already caught. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't go back and forth and doesn't delay and things coded right away. And so that's another beauty of uh, being able to be able to have this and making things more compliant. So it cut down the delay time that we face in, in being able to get uh, the claim out the door for uh, a health system. Yeah. And, and that happens a lot, a lot more than you would imagine. Yeah, Cassie, I don't know if you want to share some of, you know, obviously on the inpatient side, you know, and, and this will probably shift a little bit to the ambulatory side as we continue down the value-based care route, but um, we definitely see our scribes and like our chief scribe and our senior account manager who will receive the scribe pro uh, programs be intermediaries to the CDI team and the physician. And if you, you know, it's almost like this cat and mouse game in, in, the, in the hospital when, you know, doctors are hiding from the CDI team because they don't want to talk about <laughs> like how many, how many uh, you know, outstanding notes that they have that they need to be done, that need to be dealt with. Right. And, and then when they do sit down and do them, they're just, they're not doing them to get through to, for, for quality. They're doing them to just the, the lowest level compliance possible. Uh, and that's just human nature, right? So I don't know, Cassie. I, I'm sure you have a couple stories on 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 that, but I, I know that we've we've done some work there. Um, I think you were the one who kind of noted that as this could be a potential value driver for us on the inpatient side, for sure, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that <laughs> you said it's it's a lot to ask for a provider who's supposed to be focusing on patient care to not only get all the elements you need for the CPT coding, but then also be compliant with the hospital coding and, and their documentation standards. And so really, you know, and, and CDI can't touch every chart where scribes do, right? Scribes are touching every chart. They're right there at the bedside with the provider. They can ask questions, clarifying questions in real time to make sure that everything's getting documented appropriately with the specificity that it needs. So part uh, when I took over the uh, development of the inpatient side, um, one of my main goals was, was having scribes partner with the CDI team. We don't replace the CDI team, we partner with them to, to make sure that the level of specificity is getting documented correctly, right? If a provider has CHF documented in their um, problem list, you know, pulling up an old echocardiogram and making sure that we have systolic versus diastolic and acute versus chronic. Scribes are trained in, in to ask those questions. And I know EMRs have prompts for those two now, but it's just more clicks for the provider. Why not just have somebody I can just talk to and, and ask those questions in real time? as opposed to more clicks in the EMR. And, um, and I think that's really um, been very successful. We, we do, you know, the scribes 
attend meetings with the CDI team. They really enjoy learning of, about, you know, what specific topics they can, they can be educated on and learn, um, you know, what the hospital needs for their compliance and, and, and making sure we're, we're not only focusing on improving the provider productivity, but also the quality of the note. Um, and, and I've even gone so far as um, <laughs> a few of my scribes have done um, the CBI apprenticeship, right? And, and, and things like that to really focus on the quality. And I just want to say, Cassie, that's a really good point. You made a distinction between the professional side and the facility side of coding. And uh, I can't tell you how many times um, we see um, compliance departments at hospital systems uh, trying to get physicians to document levels of uh, diagnostic uh, symptomology that um, really aren't all that pertinent to a particular encounter for that physician. Um, but the hospital is trying to capture stuff for their charges. And that's where their diagnoses come in and on a totally different scale. So they're, they're now asking doctors to co-diagnoses that they really don't need to spend their time on, but that a scribe would naturally do, just like you said. And, and so they catch both sides of the coin automatically. All the physicians required to do is give me the diagnosis that support this visit. <laughs> so um, that's not what the hospital is looking for. That, are, that is on the JCO requirements for the hospital. And so you have these two divergent lanes that people are driving down. So it's really, really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Neil, it's really important for the HCC world too. Right. That's diagnostic driven reimbursement. So um, your comment is right on. Yeah, we actually but, have some data on that too. It's um, you, so we, we, you know, like I said, typically we're seeing this more on the inpatient side and in the acute setting, but it is going to the ambulatory side now too. And so we've, our scribes are now, on the ambulatory side, looked at more as like pop health assistants is what we kind of call them. They're doing scribe work, a little bit different training. Like I said, we custom hire and train them specific to what they're doing. And so we have some PHSO uh, partners and what we've seen is a scribe plus a physician or a pop health assistant plus a physician on the ambulatory side in like a primary care clinic is two times more, um, um, I guess, uh, two, uh, two times better performance in terms of addressing HCC and, and RAF's RAF risk adjustment factor type, type um, uh, compliance related issues, and actually three times more um, uh, better at uh, closing care gaps. So um, from a from a patient's perspective, and we we've actually done pilots where we've taken, you know, one PHSO, one clinic's got scribes, the other one doesn't and put them up against each other. Um, and so, so the, I think that just shows you the value of this from of a pop health assistant or a, or a scribe there is, is, um, you know, it's, it's pretty apparent. It's pretty good data there. And an overall compliance perspective, you know, a lot of compliance officers and, and people who run the programs get a little weary about uh, different elements that somebody else is not documenting for, for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, you know, in an enforcement arena, I've not really seen a lot of enforcement actions as it relates to charts with scribes that are on it because um, like Scribe America, you do it right, right? You're, you're actually 
augmenting or you're you're helping the provider document everything that is actually going on with the patient um, as opposed to you know creating some documentation that doesn't really exist right and that's going to happen no matter what if you have a bad provider they're going to do it that way it, it, those are those are your compliance issues that you're always you're always looking for um, from my perspective I've always found it um, very helpful and supportive when you have this good robust, documentation to be able to sit down with the OIG and the Department of Justice or CMS National and really defend the position that you have from a not only a care standpoint, if that's the question, but also a coding compliance perspective as well. So, so I think it does really enhance a coding uh, a compliance department and programs and their policies and procedures, I think very much so. And, and Scrub America does a great job at that. When talking about using, uh, you know, scribes from the standpoint, there's a lot of uh, people, practices who feel like, you know, when I can, I can grab my brother's son, Joe, or, you know, daughter, Sarah, who, who would thought about going to medical school at one point in time or as an MA, and I'm just going to have them be a scribe for me and, and walk around the offices, right? Um, tell me the benefits of using a third-party scribe provider uh, like Scribe America versus, you know, my 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 son Logan uh, or Donovan to come in and 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 uh, and scribe for me. Well, I I, I will say that uh, Logan and Donovan they could be very good scribes. We just don't know yet. So maybe we put them through the test and uh, and see you know if if they want. I'll have them give you a call. <laughs> <laughs> We're always looking for applicants. Uh, right. You know. So, but I, I would I would say you know, and Cassie can 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 chime in here, but it really comes down to the quality and execution of our, of our training and management program. I think a lot of times, uh, or I think a lot of times organizations, especially smaller doctor's offices think that, you know, a scribe just comes in an Amazon box, you know, you just, you can pay for it and they're on prime and they show up to your door or your clinic in one or two days. Um, and, you know, you can just kind of take somebody who, who just has some time and is looking for, you know, a decent job, you know, um, to get some experience. But I think, you know, what we found out here, you know, through our 17 years of experience is that's not necessarily the case. And there's actually not, there's nothing, there's no such thing as a scribe generalist either. So what we do is we really focus on pre-professionals. These are future doctors, nurses, or PAs. Um, these are 20 to 26 year olds. They have a, a drive to get into healthcare uh, and really probably practice clinically. Um, and, and they're looking for experience and that there's no better experience uh, than being a scribe because you're really at the elbow of the provider as they're seeing patients throughout the day, especially, you know, in the ED or in the hospitalist setting. I mean, imagine the last year as a 20 to 26 year old going through a pandemic at the elbow of a, you know, a frontline worker who is put, you know, is who's really trying to, you know, get us all back to work and back to normal. I mean, what a great experience. So um, we really focus on that really highly intelligent pre-med person and we train and hire them, uh, you know, locally and we put them through our training and our training, it, uh, depending on the program can be, you know, about three to five weeks long. It's medical terminology, pathophysiology, soap notes, HIPAA compliance. We um, we train them on the EMR platform and then we have, um, you know, uh, managers actually go um, 
connect with leadership and the physicians to ensure that that we're going over like diagnosis codes and patient panel and, um, you know, provider preferences, dot phrases, templates, um, you know, all to be the, the, the best scribe possible for, for a provider. And then there's like shadow shifts on top of that. And then there's constant QA and, and, and um, you know, there's management over the top of that to ensure that we're providing the best quality scribe programs as we can. Um, and so I think that that machine that we've built here um, and have grown uh, is really our, um, is, is that's our competitive advantage when it comes. And that's, I think that's why organizations look to us there. And then at the same time as, you know, no, you know, this is somebody who's low cost and we're integrating them into the care team. So, you know, obviously um, economies of scale come into play too. And it's just really challenging to find that, that scribe because, you know, there is no such thing as a career scribe, honestly. So scribes, scribes do kind of tap out about one to two years, depending on where they are, um, you know, in their life and, and their career and where they're going with med school or PA school or nursing school. Um, so we have to constantly source and recruit and hire the next one. So, um, and we've, we've got these, you know, kind of, we've got that machine working in, in every town and city uh, domestically here in, in the country um, to ensure that we can do that. So, um, and so I think that it's really important to think about it that way. And, 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 but, but I think that's what really drives the, the scribe programs and, and really our programs at scribe America. And I, and I will also say is we get a lot of, you know, first time uh, an organization is going to try to create, you know, try to find their own scribes. Um, and then over time, they tend to come to us because it, it's, it's hard, it's challenging work and it's, it's, it's kind of 24 seven work to, to build out a team. So, you know, one or two scribes might be easy to find, uh, um, you know, in, in the neighborhood. Um, but when you're looking at like a large ED that has, you know, 10 scribes a shift, you know, that's, that's really where you want to look at us or, um, you know, a, a scribe company that's going to really focus on finding those, those quality candidates. And one last thing, and then Cassie, feel free to chime in, but, you know, we do put our scribes through training and, the, and tests are involved. So not every scribe passes our test to get through. So it's there's a there is a barrier of entry. And frankly, you know, we actually see a barrier of entry. We don't actually hire medical assistants. And there's for two reasons. Number one is medical assistants don't necessarily want to focus on documentation. They, like the providers, want to focus on the patient. Um, and number two is we're we're short medical assistants, we're short nurses. So we're looking for that, you know, clerical staff that is really smart, intelligent, and highly motivated to be a part of that care team to, you know, sort of drive value from the bottom up while the uh, providers focus top down. So I don't know, Cassie, if you have anything to add there. No, just that I agree. Having been a scribe myself, um, started as a pre-med undergrad um, is when I got into being a scribe and I would have done this for free, right? <laughs> um, and, and so you, you're, you're definitely right. You're looking for those pre-med, pre-nursing that are really eager. Um, you, you have to be constantly recruiting at the colleges. It's a lot of work that goes into finding the right scribe that's going to be a good fit for those providers. And also being you're expanding your remote access for scribes too, using a being an having an infrastructure from a third party standpoint, I imagine you're able to reach a lot more providers in a lot more efficient manner than than you know really cherry picking one or two you know specific 
scribes off the, you know, uh, yeah. out of some program, I would imagine. That, that's a great, that's a great point, Ross. Um, and we're seeing that really take off on the ambulatory side. So, you know, when we got our start, we really focused on the acute side. So really focused on the ED and, you know, partnered with some of the larger EDs across the country and, and, the, um, and, and got to a point where we were in about a third of the EDs across the country. Um, and, and, but where we're seeing the growth right now is on the ambulatory side and, and you're, you're spot on there. And I'll just give a quick example, you know, Cleveland is, you know, where my family is from, and that's where I grew up. Great healthcare town, right? You got the University Hospital, you've got Cleveland Clinic, you've got, you know, uh, Summa Health, uh, Mercy Health down the street. So you got some large national players there. Cleveland as a as a city, though, doesn't necessarily have the student population to support, you know, the 1600 providers at Cleveland Clinic that want to scribe. So when we saw the growth really come from the ambulatory side, we knew we had to go national and, and support some of these ambulatory programs that are frankly specialized. I mean, we have some, you know, multiple sclerosis, you know, oncology, hematology, you know, you're talking some, you know, you know, we, we get pretty sub sub specialty here. And so that candidate and that scribe might not be in Cleveland, the right candidate, I guess. So opening it up with, with our remote scribe and really mirroring our in-person value there with our virtual scribe and, and the management being the same, the quality of candidate being the same, or if not better, because we can actually pull the right one is really important as medical groups look to scale scribe programs. Um, it's, it's just a little bit of a different ball game on the ambulatory side versus like, you know, the ED where you could have, you know, 10 or 15 scribes on a shift going to the same spot every day. You know, every scribe wants to be in the ED all the time because that's where all the action is. So it's a little bit of a different ball game. So it's really important that we can get the right candidate to that special specialist to, to support them. That's, that's great. And, you know, you know, as we wrap it up, we talked a little bit about um, successes in, in HCCs and, and risk adjustment factors with the, the RAFs. What other success stories are you seeing? Well, like, where are you seeing the biggest um, benefits? Is it, a, I, I know you said ambulatory, but is there anything else that, that is really being uh, focused on or really seeing that benefit from having you know, a, a scribe and a scribe company like Scribe America. Yeah, I, I got a couple. And then Cassie, if you have, have some too, obviously, I think, you know, where we're seeing the shift towards value-based care, we, we're de definitely seeing a, um, a, a more uh, detailed oriented, like customized scribe to, to population health. And like I said, we're really calling them P pop health assistants almost now for, for, for our, you know, primary care providers and, and our PHSO pay, uh, partners. So um, I think when it comes to, you know, in, uh, closing care gaps and, and addressing HCC codes, I think that, you know, like I said, we're seeing two and three times, um, you know, improvements there with scribes. But the other thing we're seeing too, and this is kind of interesting on the ED side, um, is, is what we call like an ED care navigator. Um, it's so it's kind of like a play on the scribe that we still have scribes that are helping providers at the point of care, going into the room to room to room with the patient and documenting. But the other thing is what happens when that patient is ready for, you know, discharge, like what happens then, 
And so a lot of organizations aren't equipped on the back end or the front end, frankly, to making sure that we get the right information on that patient to the doctor so they can provide care. And then what happens after that? And so we've actually started some programs actually here. We have a, a longstanding program at the University of Colorado right down the street from me um, where we're assisting in like discharge patient flow and scheduling follow-ups um, and improving like network integrity. And so, um, you know, we actually have our scribes, our, our, our care navigators screening for like social determinants of health and um, improving no-show rates and decreasing, you know, those 90-day ED return rates that are, that really hit the, um, you know, hit, hit the organization really hard. Uh, but it also improves, obviously, the relationship between the ED group and, and, and their hospital partner. But in terms of like, um, you know, I, I think what I saw last time was from a we're increasing uh, uh, or we're reducing no-show rates by like 15 to 20% by just having that scribe schedule the appointment and get them to the right primary care cardiologist or who or rheumatologist or whoever from the ED. Um, and, and I think the trickle-down effect of that is we're seeing reduce reductions in 90-day in uh, readmits, which I think is, is great and really saving some, some money when it comes to like case management and staffing costs there. And then the other thing, and then I'll, I'll pass it off to Cassie, and this is something I'm a little bit interested in, but we've been seeing an uptick in actually uh, organizations asking us to get involved with their chronic care management programs. Um, and obviously, you know, to, you know, it's a, it's a Medicare program and, um, you know, you're seeing, uh, primary care and, um, clinics kind of opt into this program. It's a way for them to, uh, take care of their patient outside of the, the four walls of their clinic. <clears throat> um, but what our staff can do alongside the clinic team is, Kind of be that block and tackling work of making sure that the patient continues on their care on their care journey, um, you know, calling the patient and um, you know m improving enrollment, obviously, and then the waterfall effect of keeping that patient involved in the program as well. And so, I'm interested to see this CCM and how the how it, how this is impacted with COVID. You know, a study came out yesterday that said about a third of the patients that have COVID actually have developed a, a mental or, or, or a neurological disorder. And just imagine what the, how that's going to impact our, our provider partners down the road. So interested to see if that continues to take off. We are seeing our, our, our team sort of shift that way a little bit and helping with that. And I think that's all, you know, just making sure that we're compliant, like, you know, with the program, we're 100% compliance and getting things done and not having that fall to the provider. So I think that's pretty interesting too. I don't know, Cassie, if you have anything from the inpatient side, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, you know, what we did with COVID and, and I know, we're, you know, we're seeing programs take off on the inpatient side, but don't know if you have anything to add there. Yeah, I think that, you know, because of COVID, we're seeing a lot of growth in the ICU, infectious disease, as well as post-acute care. Um, post-acute care has, has, has a lot of compliance items. I just was talking with a client and uh, he said he's going to throw me a parade if we're successful here. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more growth there. Also looking at ways that we can leverage some of our our technology such as speak and combine it with a live scribe so that you can have one scribe working across the care 
care team. So not just pairing it with one, one scribe, one provider, but maybe you have a scribe helping, helping all the providers in an entire unit and not just the physicians, but also maybe the nurses. Um, mm -hmm. So looking how we can leverage technology to make the scribes more efficient and, and expand. It was really great to see the healthcare team expand like that and include scribes or, or care management. And it just really becomes this, this healthcare team that I think in the value-based reimbursement and, and the kind of healthcare that we're going down the road with, it's going to be valuable from that standpoint to make sure that everybody's on the same page and capturing capturing everything that needs to be done for every patient. So really appreciate uh, Charlie and Cassie, your time today. You know, just to recap of what we talked about a little bit, uh, we talked about what are our scribes, uh, how do they enhance and how do they protect compliance and coding compliance? And then, you know, what's the benefit of using some third party uh, scribe companies like Scribe America and Health Channels? Um, as well as, as how, how they can be successful. So again, really appreciate your time. Any, any final words, Mark or Neil? No, I, I really enjoyed this session a lot. I think it's be very I, I learned a lot. So it's very good. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate being on and um, uh, really appreciate the time. And um, yeah, thanks again. Nice meeting you all. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Coding Compliance Podcast. The good, bad, and ugly. Sponsored by Ronan Healthcare Consultants and the Coding Network with our hosts, Ross Ronan, Neil Green, and Mark Babs. Please tune in to iTunes and Spotify on the first Friday of each month for a new episode. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our podcast website or leave us a review.